CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, April 25th starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back your CTU president, my CTU president, the incomparable Stacey Davis-Gates. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and if you're a fan of Ben Jarofsky columns, oh, we've got one for you today. Head on over to ChicagoReader.com and read Ben's article, Karen's Plan. Find that article and so much more at ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Vallis Lawsuit Tuesday, and here's why. What a weekend, ladies and gentlemen, for news. I mean, what a weekend. By the way, I just want a little credit here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm fighting off a cold as I do this show. I play in pain. I'm Walter Payton. I I never miss a game, okay? I'm not like one of these load management NBA stars. I play. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go there. Load management uh, stars. But, yes, so while I was fighting off this cold, all these news stories were like boom, 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 penetrating that little cold shield you get when you have a cold. Tucker Carlson, fired. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Don Lemon, fired. I'm like, what's that all about? Man, nobody listens to CNN anyway. Kim Fox announces she's not going to run for re-election. That story broke like, I don't know, about two hours before I did the show. My distinguished guest who's waiting on deck was actually at uh, the speech where Kim Fox announced she was not going to retire. Uh, excuse me, she was not going to run for re-election. My distinguished guest, Stacey Davis-Gates, will be our Ben Jarofsky show special correspondent with an update from that show. In uh, New York City, Donald Trump's rape trial begins. Let's just pause and think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Donald Trump's rape trial. He's on trial for raping or allegedly raping E. Jean Carroll. Here in Chicago, Kim Fox, they excoriate her because what she didn't like look the other way while confessions were tort <laughs> where uh black people were forced to confess because of torture in some basement of a police station she's suddenly like a bad state's attorney for that and she's being pillared by maga and maga is led by donald trump who one more time ladies and gentlemen his rape trial begins in new york city today just thought just think about that chicago i know that's a lot all you maga voters out there particularly lakefront liberals <laughs> who are just feeling your inner maga right now i really like what maga is saying just think about that your guy on trial for rape and you're mad about Justice Smollett, these are just some of the stories going on. But pound for pound, my absolute favorite story is this ongoing dispute between Paul Vallis, the man that the North Lakefront was so eager to have as its mayor. Paul Vallis. Yeah, that Paul Vallis. And Chima Enya, a political strategist that Paul Vallis hired to get out the black vote. And Paul Vallis uh, is saying he sued him. He sued Enya. He said that Enya did not do the work he uh, claimed he had done. He had defrauded him, and he wants the money back that he paid Enya for outreach work in the black community. And Enya has responded. But before we do, let's just pause. I'm going to say this right now. I'm not privy to the inner conversations between Paul Vallis and anybody in his campaign. All right? I was not there. I'm just an outsider looking in. And as I understand it, Enya's job was to somehow or other get black people 
to vote for Paul Vallis, which is quite a task, if you ask me, considering who Paul Vallis is, what he represents, particularly over the last two years where he's been a MAGA sympathizer. Getting black people to vote for Paul Vallis is no easy thing. Vallis got approximately 20% of the black vote. I think he should be giving any a raise. Instead of crying and sobbing about not getting the black vote out, he should give the man a raise. 20%? Anyway, they're going back and forth. I love this story so much. <laughs> but here's, here's the quote. This is the quote from a dude named Tom Bowen, who uh, worked, uh, represented Lori Lightfoot, was Lori Lightfoot's campaign manager. He's just looking for an attempt. <laughs> Bowen is just trying to get some shots in at Vallis. Uh, and he said, quote, if Vallis set $700,000 on fire with a very atypical campaign vendor to try to win votes in the black community like that, that is possibly the stupidest thing anyone in Chicago politics has ever done, says Bowen. Uh, Bowen, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think reelecting Rahm Emanuel in 2015 qualifies as the stupidest thing Chicagoans have ever done. Mm, no, is it the stupidest thing? Perhaps reelecting Richard Daley uh, in 2007 after four of the most corrupt years in the city of Chicago, that may qualify as Anyway, I could go on and on, but I'm not. My distinguished guest, Stacey Davis-Gates, president of the Chicago Teachers Union, is patiently waiting. Welcome back to the show, Stacey. Hey, glad to be back. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm all fired up. I'm fighting this cold. Be very proud of me. Uh, playing in pain, as I told you before. Uh, and uh, so any thoughts about the, the lawsuit I just talked about? A million dollars on side. I, I just can't even fathom that. Like no one in my family has made that much money in a year. Like it's disgusting. It's it's offensive to our democracy. You know, the money in politics, you know, is, is I don't know, it's, it should be unnecessary. You should be able to engage people at a high level without millions and millions and millions of dollars trading hands. It is a barrier to participation. It is a barrier to democracy. So terrible all right i don't blame you for staying out of the particulars of the paul vallis and yeah lawsuit allow ben to do that and um the last time stacy you were on the show i was gently suggesting that uh having a candidate uh for mayor was a, a losing proposition and you wouldn't win uh and that candidate was brandon johnson uh and i suggested you should just the union should have just endorsed somebody who was not of the union uh, and be a kingmaker. Uh, and uh, you had a very, uh, uh, you had a, a strong response to that. Uh, and now it's, you got to kind of prove me wrong with this one. Uh, Brandon Johnson was victorious. So as I have been doing with several guests from the left, it's my uh, apology tour, not really apology, but I was wrong tour. Uh, you're just general thoughts before we get into the particulars on Brandon Johnson's victory uh, in this mayoral election. Dude, it's one of the most remarkable experiences that I've ever had in my life. Um, it is something that I am intensely proud of um, to have been a part of helping to build. I mean, it comes out of a movement uh, for common good. It really is as altruistic as one can um, get where you bring together a motley crew of labor, community orgs, educators, parents, um, organizers, and they figure out how to push back against the privatization of schools, uh, the closing of schools, um, the removal of mental health care clinics, um, police murder and abuse, um, the housing justice, um, disability um, injustices, um, people who have been victimized and haven't received any type of, you know, support, safety, um, infrastructure. Um, all of these people have been working for years. You know, this is not an overnight success. This is like a multi-year um, struggle to get um, some agency 
and you know an equitable amount of the public good and so it dovetails into this runoff election um, that pits Brandon uh, Johnson, our mayor-elect, against um, the other guy you were just talking about and this furious like discussion about what's necessary in the city. And, you know, I think for me, the biggest takeaway is this aspiration for justice, this aspiration for more. Um, that one out, people really want to be hopeful. Um, voters really want it to work. No one wants the negativity or the hopelessness. And I think that they decided that they were going to try with a leader um, who embodies that. And I'm, I'm just proud of Chicago. Uh, the other side of the coin, people want to be hopeful, uh, is that people are, uh, in many cases, motivated by fear. Uh, mm -hmm. and particularly, that was the case uh, on the north side. Uh, where I live and have lived since 1981. So I've come to kind of understand uh, Northside Lakefront liberals and uh, the amount of fear and trepidation they had about uh, Brandon Johnson uh, was astounding. Uh, how, in your opinion, did uh, was Brandon Johnson able to overcome that fear? Well, I think you have to demonstrate with others the capacity for aspiration. I think uh, Brandon Johnson, our mayor-elect, one of his biggest like assets is the fact that he's an organizer. Um, he was not providing you with a run of mill like, speech about um, what people wanted to hear. In fact, I think Ballas' campaign was the laziest with that. More cops, more punishment, you'll be safer. Like, that's lazy. And kind of not true either, right? It, it hasn't worked and it's lazy. The organizer, Brandon Johnson, who became, who is now the mayor-elect, said we're going to organize Chicago um, to an idea of more and plenty and hope. And what he was able to do is, you know, create a space where people could organize with him and people could organize, hopefully, and with, you know, this this inspiring vision of like ending the tell of two cities and, you know, building these bridges and doing all the things people like really want. I don't think people like to hear the tell of two cities. It makes them feel bad. And the fact is, is that there are two cities. And um, I think they're both said we want to figure out how to just have one. And so... Let's see what happens. Another excuse given to me by uh, people on the lakefront. See, I distinguish it. I distinguish a Vallis vote, an out-and-out MAGA vote, which that was their guy. They didn't care that he would uh, was a MAGA sympathizer. That's part of the reason they voted for him. And then, like, the nervous lakefront liberal. I distinguish those two. Maybe, uh, Stacey, if you disagree with me in distinguishing that bag of uh, that balance, well, feel free to jump in. Uh, but so a lot of it, the nervousness of the Lakefront Liberal was po posed this way, uh, Stacey. Well, I might consider voting uh, for Brandon Johnson, but he has no experience running City Hall. He has no experience running City of Chicago. Uh, I had a response that I gave every time I've heard that, but I would love to hear your uh, thoughts about that notion that uh, Brandon Johnson, they couldn't be, bring themselves to vote for Brandon Johnson because he has no experience running a city like Chicago. My response to that is he's a mayor. Um, so he convinced enough people um, that he was able to adequately run a campaign that both was rooted and grounded in um, policy and his values of common good, equity, and justice, and, you know, clarify his intention to work with people um, across sectors in this uh, city, and that he was able to compel through organizing and um, coalition the city into believing that it could be more. So if that's not leadership, I don't know what is. And then, you know, I also take a special offense to how people who 
minimize educators, don't understand that teachers are an executive function all day long. I dare a CEO or any other high powered professional to operate in their executive mode for an entire day with other people. You are always making decisions. You are always in consideration and you are always moving. And you have a number of young people in the classroom who learn different, who hear differently, who, you know, just a number of things who come to you with trauma, who come to you after a bad day, who may be unhoused, right? So to say that someone who taught in Cabrini or on the west side of Chicago at Westinghouse isn't capable of leading this city doesn't respect the work, the skilled expertise of our educators. Because um, you couldn't say that if you really knew it. Uh, one of the points uh, that Greg Pratt, Chicago Tribune reporter, made uh, we was on the show a couple days ago uh, was uh, this contrast. In 2019, at Mayor Rahm's last uh, public comments as mayor, at the last city council meeting, uh, he essentially warned, Mayor Rahm did, uh, Chicagoans about the Chicago Teachers Union. Look out. They're foes of everything that we want to do. I'm sort of paraphrasing what Rahm had to say. Uh, four years later, uh, a, me a, me a member of the Chicago Teachers Union, a person who comes from the Chicago Teachers Union, a person who essentially got his start uh, in uh, this kind of public work uh, because Karen Lewis hired him, has been elected mayor. You got to have some comments about that, uh, Stacey. Rob gave a warning, and the people of the city of Chicago responded to his warning by electing uh, uh, Brandon Johnson as mayor. Your thoughts? I don't know why it's so easy for people who live in this city, who educate our city's children, who are raising their families here, who are homeowners here, renters here, taxpayers here. Why it's so difficult to be in partnership and coalition with them. I, I for the life of me, I cannot understand why anyone would make their kids first grade teacher an enemy. Because that's literally what that type of behavior instigates. Because the teachers who comprise the members of the Chicago Teachers Union literally are out here fighting for a couple of things that helps all of Chicago. They're fighting for a salary where they can pay their mortgage and afford to live in this um, city. So their neighbors don't live next door to a vacant and abandoned, you know, home. So that that helps, right? You have a stable middle class in the city and you want a stable middle class in the city. Those are the members of the Chicago Teachers Union. So why would you make a stable class of residents, neighbors, an enemy? Juxtaposed to that, they're providing a public good. Like, public education is a common good. And you need people who are qualified, who are credentialed, who are um, committed in the public school system in order to make all of this work. And here's the other thing about it. With childcare being in shambles in this country because it becomes unaffordable for the average mom, dad, family, that schools serve an important function, not just to educate, but to be an appendage to working mothers in this uh, in the society. So we have a very valuable function in the society. I think the problem is, is that people like Ron decided that they wanted to call shots in an industry that they didn't have expertise in. And then Karen Lewis says, Nah, I think we know what we're doing. We wouldn't mind partnering with you, but you can't roll us. And so I think Rom understood very clearly at the point of his departure from Chicago that sentiment has shifted significantly and that he was really and truly asking for something that was as diabolical as he actually was advocating 
to continue to not pay women a fair wage. That's what it was. He said it was his longer school day, which he never funded. So he was literally advocating as a Democrat in blue state, blue county, blue city, Chicago, to pay women, to not pay women their worth because he wanted a longer day and he didn't want to fund it. That's what he was advocating for. Thank God we've come a long way from that. We're going to have an elected school board in this city. Um, the women who comprise this union, 80% of them now have their full bargaining rights. So they don't have to be put into a vice grip by another um, uh, Rahm Emanuel. You have a middle school teacher who will be occupying the fifth floor of the city and leading it. A man who basically told Chicago, you can be critical of our young people, right? You can be, and you can demonize them. And to be able to hear something as refreshing as that is going to be important for educators. We have to be in a position of where we are clarifying the humanity of our young people. Because when we clarify the humanity of our young people, when we ground our critique of them in appreciation and in love, right, constructive critique, I actually think we can turn a corner because people, taxpayers, corporations, everyone, they invest in things that they find value in. So what I think I'm experiencing from our mayor-elect is that he is putting value from the very top of the food chain in this city on our young people. That's both radical and welcomed. All right. You've given me a lot of stuff to, uh, to follow up with the demonize uh, quote. We'll get to that. But I got to go back to something you began with. And you really, this like triggers me as the millennial says, Stacy. Uh, so the Chicago Teachers Union, teachers unions in general, are the backbone of the Democratic Party in any swing state, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia. The Democrats turn to the teachers union for help to win elections. Oh, they love the teachers union when they help, they're helping elect Wisconsin for Joe Biden or Georgia for Raphael Warnick. We come to Chicago. They treat the teachers union like it's an enemy of the state. I'm talking about the downtown business community and the corp the elite of the Democratic Party. Richard Durbin endorsed Paul Vallis. We've talked about this a lot in this show, Stacey. I've been a lifelong supporter of Richard Durbin. I'm really struggling with that right now. Your thoughts about people like Richard Durbin supporting Paul Vallis over Brandon Johnson? Look, I think we experienced in this uh, this election, 2023, um, is the shifting of the political dynamic that in 2013, Karen Lewis said we had to challenge. Um, in 2013, I think it became abundantly clear to her that the democracy under which decisions are made for the greatest amount of us was broken because it didn't hear us. Ten years ago, Rahm Emanuel closed 50 schools to which Ken Griffin, one of his Republican benefactors, said he was disappointed in Ron because he didn't close enough. And those schools were closed on children from lower-income neighborhoods, families that needed the public good perhaps more than anyone did, because that is the thing that sustains and anchors, you know, neighborhoods and families, and, and they needed it. And, you know, folks went all around this uh, city marching and, um, organizing and begging and crying and pleading with people to, you know, not just to not close their school, but to resource their school and to hear them. Um, and so that trauma is what instigated what we're experiencing. Some of us who are away from the pain or, you know, degrees away from the pain have a difficult time um, assessing um assessing the, the ground and the environment. They don't hear and respond well to um, the shifts and the different dynamics and the people 
Um, so I would say that the organizers on the ground, this is where you lift up the United Working Families. This is where you lift up all of the independent IPOs around the city. This is where you lift up, you know, community organizations who've been working, you know, on treatment, not trauma. Like there's an, an entire constellation of people, of groups, of political organizations, of community groups, of families, of, of, of networks that have been organizing and found their moment with someone who comes from their tradition and trusted it enough to do the work. You know, people didn't want their hearts broken. You know, the stories that you hear people tell about this election period, um, they're very humbling. What do you mean by people didn't want their hearts broken? Well, how many times do you try and get the, you said it, um, when we started this segment, Ben, you said that you, um, you said, hey, Stacy, the teachers union should play kingmaker and go get an established person that's out there that has name recognition and a, a track record. And you all put your might behind them instead of like, basically going up against everything at the same time. Um, I never read that as you didn't believe it couldn't happen. I read that as, man, I don't want to hope in something anymore and not see it happen. And there are so many people in this ecosystem who have had that experience where they, um, they get so close or they almost, or they get there and then, some technicality, you know, ameliorates whatever that win was. And so folks don't want to necessarily experience um, the disappointment or the letdown or the heartbreak. And so they don't participate or they outsmart themselves or they subtract their heart from this work. Um, but there were enough people this time who just said, you know, they're going to be hopeless romantics and, and they're going to knock doors, make phone calls. They're going to organize house parties. Um, that constellation is, 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 is impactful and significant because I don't think those people become demobilized in this moment either. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right on that last point. And I'll, I'll give a sports analogy to it. Uh, I'm so conditioned as a Chicago sports fan to having my team lose. And sometimes I could talk myself out of even watching the game. They're just going to lose anyway. I won't watch it. Then of course I always watch it. Uh, Michael Jeffrey Jordan changed that psychology in Chicago because he won. He just said, I'm, I'm, you guys, I don't know anything about your sports issues here in the city. I, I I'm unafraid of losing last night. Jimmy Butler unafraid of losing Stacy. He just said, give me the ball. OK, so I do believe there's something to what you're saying. People are like, I don't want I'm afraid I'll lose. so I don't even want to try. I'll just endorse Chewy or whatever. I understand uh, exactly what you're saying. And I have to tell you this, Stacey, it's more prevalent among old people by, like me. Every young activist I had on the show, I have a ton of them, told me right to my face, Brandon Johnson will win. You are wrong. <laughs> and you know what? They were right. And in their own ways, they were like Jimmy Butler. They were unafraid. And uh, so, yes, you can learn something from young people. Uh, I agree with you on that point. Uh, I still think Richard Durbin should be ashamed of himself for not endorsing Brandon Johnson, or at the very least, uh, staying out of that election. All right. Uh, another point uh, that you made, you talked about uh, the demonization. And uh, this, of course, you were alluding to uh, Brandon Johnson's quote last week that caused such consternation uh, in uh, editorial Chicago, corporate Chicago, uh, because uh, after the mayhem in the loop last week, uh, Brandon Johnson said, we cannot, of course, condone any of this, uh, but I don't want to demonize the people of Chicago. And it was like, all of a sudden, <laughs> every baby boomer in Chicago was like, demonize them. I want to hear you demonize I want you to demonize it, man. These people don't realize how old they sound. Stacy, help me out here. Why is urgency to demonize people? You know, if it was their kids do it, literally their kids doing it. You know what they would do, Stacy? They would have that kid get a haircut. They put that kid in a nice suit. 
and they take that kid before the judge. See, he's a really great kid, Your Honor. And then they would bring in all their experts. Oh, he's such a wonderful kid. Oh, he gets straight A's, this, that, the other thing. Don't demonize their kids, but demonize somebody else's kids. Go ahead, Stacey, your thoughts. Look, that's why I think it's important to have a black father on the fifth floor of Chicago for the reason that you just said. It's easy for him to see the humanity of black children in the city because he's raising three. Um, he uh, has been an educator of black children at Caprini and at Westinghouse. So he can see their humanity. What, why his leadership is important is because he gets to lead. He gets to use language. He gets to model um, loving black children to Chicago, to this country, to the world. And again, that is so radical. That is so necessary in any type of solution that you have, you will want to put forth that involve black people or black children. You want that coming from a space and a place, a leadership that can see um, their humanity. And so you can critique because I have a father he critiques, <laughs> right? Um, and he does it with love and care. And if I may also add, I am more attached to critique that comes from spaces of true appreciation and love. I can disconnect and disengage from critique that comes from a very impersonal, negative, um, cynical, unloving space. And so if, if that happens to me, I wonder would it happen if young people experience it that way too, that people who love me and critique me, I hate when I disappoint them. I hate when I get it wrong. Go into that a little bit. Are, are you saying uh, just the fact that Brandon Johnson is the mayor of city of Chicago uh, would encourage young people to behave differently because they didn't want to uh, upset them they wouldn't want to upset him no that's that's too simple right that no it, it this ain't relational if you find value in a demographic in this city then you have the ability to then put forth the type of policies and resources that exemplify that love and care. So it's not just they'll treat them right because he's treating them right. No, as the mayor of the city, treating them right means making sure that your love for them shows up in the bottom lines of the budget and that there are resources and development and engagement with them, that their voices are a part of the town hall and you seek to hear those too. Um, that's what that means. It's not just because he's black or that he's a black father, but because he is having that experience as a black man, as a black father, as a teacher of black children, that he has assigned value to them. And that once that assignment of value happens, he can demonstrate that in his leadership as mayor of the city and as quite frankly, head of the public school system. I see what you're saying. Uh, all right, to that point, uh, I'm going to read to you a headline that's in the Sun-Times today, or an editorial, get your response to it, because it kind of applies to everything you've been saying. Uh, and it's an editorial or, or urging uh, Chicago to uh, employ students, Chicago youth, over the summer, give them summer jobs uh, to keep them preoccupied, to give them a sense of responsibility, et cetera, and so forth. Here's the headline. More summer jobs for Chicago youth is a smart move, comma, if city can find the money. <laughs> if city can find the money, Stacey Davis-Gates. Well, so that goes back <laughs> to this idea of value. Yeah. That goes, you, you find the money for what you value. Yeah. You find time for what you value. So, I mean, that that's what I'm saying. There's this leadership from the fifth floor, one of the most important spaces to occupy 
in this city, if not the most important. You have someone who's going to already start with the idea that young people matter and that they have value. You don't have to convince them of that. See, when someone can say that they're disappointed in you for not closing more than 50 schools, that's an absence of value. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the reality is if, if, if a summer job could, I don't know, just to say this, lower the crime rate, just throw that out there, which seems to be the number one concern of uh, people in the city of Chicago, at least if you believe the polls. If a summer job could do that, why would it be an issue about finding the money? If, what are you going to do? Not have a summer job program? Well, we couldn't find the money, so you're on your own this summer, kids. Do you follow me, Stacy? I mean, the yeah, line, loud and clear. I just do not understand Chicagoans. I never will. You know what I'm saying? They want to lower crime, but we're not sure we can find the money for a summer job program. Uh, as if you're not going to spend that money locking them up, if you get what I'm saying. Because it costs money to lock them up. Do you follow me, Stacey? I follow you loud and clear. Look, again, assign value in humanity. The only way you can create two Chicagos is that you've devalued, you've dehumanized. That's the only way it's acceptable. So let's let's find some value and some love. And then um, you find a budget. You find resources. Okay. Uh... I know you're very busy today, so I'm going to go uh, down my list of things before I let you go. Uh, I'm going to give you a set of names, and then I would love your reflection on them. Uh, so uh, let's start with the obvious one, Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, let me do the math. I think she's got about two weeks left in office, maybe three weeks. Your thoughts on the Lori Lightfoot legacy? I am happy to move forward with um, a mayor of the city who is a middle school teacher and a father of Chicago public school students. I think that we will have a better Chicago and experience in Chicago um, as, you know, the folks who need public education because there's an understanding and there's a level of respect and value there. And I, I'm, I'm happy to have that opportunity. All right. I guess that's, uh, that's it on Lori Lightfoot. Uh, uh, Kim Fox, state's attorney Kim Fox, you were at the speech today, uh, and uh, she announced she was not going to run for re-election. Your thoughts on Kim Fox? Man, I have a lot of thoughts on Kim Fox. Um, I really like her. Um, I like her spirit and her heart and her brilliance and her fearlessness. I think that, um, I remember, I don't know if it was her first, her first election or her second, I can't remember, but I remember being at um, SEIU Healthcare and she came in the door and there were these two young uh, girls, black girls, they were probably 10 and eight, eight and 10, something like that. and. The, and I caught them looking at Kim and they were captivated and they were excited and they were happy. And that example is so important in the way in which Kim led fearlessly for people who needed an advocate. He defined justice, not in its, the narrowest sense, you talk about equity and inclusion. She added equity and inclusion to justice in Cook County. So much so that it threatened the way in which injustice happens in this city. And, you know, because sometimes things get perverted, you think that is justice, you know, and people begin to concentrate on the wrong thing. She introduced a man today at lunch who um, spent over 30 years in prison for something he did not do. And you think about the type of leadership it takes to get an entire system to say that they got it wrong with a man's life, 30 years of it. 
there is so much investment in keeping stuff like that hidden because it threatens the very infrastructure of the justice system when an injustice like that was able to persist for three decades. She's a hero to me. And I don't know how to say it any other way. You know, people who were wrongly convicted spent decades in, in prison, lost family members on the way, years they will never get back. They had an advocate at one of the highest layers of the judicial or the, the, the law enforcement system that intersects with our judicial system. They had a black girl who grew up in Cabrini Green who experienced both the promise and the peril of the public good, and she becomes their advocate. Boy, that is something to behold. That is some fantastic story. And she used her influence, her power, her position to, to lead, especially when it was difficult. People hold leadership and power close because they coveted and they don't want to get it away. Kim Fox, she empowered. She used her power to empower. She used her position to influence the entire system and to make seismic changes to it. That's heroic. Be curious to see, uh, in light of what you just said, the campaign that unfolds uh, to... Uh, for a successor. There will be those, my guess is, who run against Kim Fox, make an appeal to the voters running against Kim Fox and the Kim Fox legacy, and those who say they'll carry on the legacy. And it'll be another defining moment uh, for Cook County voters uh, on this issue. Stacey, if you understand what, what I'm saying. Uh, and uh, very curious to see the outcome of that. Do you follow what I mean? Yep, I follow what you mean. Like, look, um, Let's see it develop. The electorate is different today than it was in 2016. Um, a lot can be said about Kim's influence on the electorate. You can talk about root causes when you have a state's attorney who is shining a light on the injustices, right? There's a place within the popular um, discourse for root causes of crime during a campaign because you have a state's attorney who's already plowed, you know, that ground. Um, you know, teachers understand scaffolding, right? And you look at all the scaffolding that led to 2023, the Carlos Ramirez Rosas, the Rosanas, right? The Delia Ramirez's, um, the Kim Foxes. Those things, 23 happens because of those things too. People were, are getting practice. Remember, uh, Gil Viegas ran against Delia at DFARC and she creamed them. So this idea that voters are not as dimensional as people like Paul Vallis wanted to make them seem, hopefully people will stop wasting money on that. And we'll get a real like discourse that um, doesn't offend us. Yeah, I, I would uh, amend what you said. Things have changed in 2015 when Ra, uh, Ram defeated uh, Chewy Garcia and the Quan McDonald video came out in November. Uh, Ram fought a tooth and nail. Fair enough. I appreciate the, yeah. the amendment to that because that's yeah. an important amendment. Yeah, and, and when I think about it, uh, Rom didn't run for re-election. Lori Lightfoot is essentially, <laughs> in an in ironic way, uh, was politically speaking, uh, a beneficiary of the movement uh, that uh, forced Rahm out of office. Anita Alvarez did a run for re-election. Uh, and, um, oh, she did run. Uh, and Gary Big Mac McCarthy uh, was ousted. And Alvarez and Big Mac were at Vallis's headquarters, uh, supporters of Vallis. Uh, so in some ways, I've been watching this law and order uh, fight here in Chicago politics since 2015 and to your point each instance the law and order crew crew and i have law and order in quotes uh has lost stacy i'm just saying that's just the reality uh we'll see where the future lies you know i can't remember stacy you gotta help me suddenly i had a a, a moment blank 
I, I honestly cannot remember. This may be the early stage of me uh, shoving things out of my brain. In 2016, did Anita Alvarez run for re-election against Kim Fox in the primary? Yeah, it was yeah. the By Anita campaign. Yeah. Yes, I yep. do. I put that out of my mind. Yep. Scary thought. Um, that was another campaign dynamic where a lot of the activists and um, the, a lot of the activists and the organizers um, united yes. um, because they understood the significance of that moment. Yeah. Uh, no, a lot has changed. Absolutely. since 2015. No doubt about it. Uh, all right. Finally, uh, this Joe Biden running for reelection uh, that uh, <laughs> in Chicago hasn't got the attention. I probably should have given it. I've been talking about all these local issues today. Uh, your thoughts on President Joe Biden running for reelection? Um, we better get it together because like the threat of DeSantis and or uh, the Look, it is what it is at this point. He's running for re-election. Um, I know people are making a lot out about, you know, who else or what else. And it's President Biden. And, you know, things he has done some things. He stabilized us. Like, look, you know, it's easy to critique from the other side of COVID, right? But I remember all of the foolishness coming out of the White House at a time when people like desperately needed real leadership and all of the foolishness and the demagoguery that came post COVID, right? And, and, and 45, he was 45, right? 45's um, leadership and organization in that crazy. January 6th insurrection, like, look, that's that's not okay, and that's where our we were as a country. So, stabilizing the stabilizing force that we needed within the pandemic and all of the you know ridiculous conspiracy theories that the president of the United States was spewing, it's it's easy to forget that. So, like, we've been stabilized in that way, and I think we're better for it. Um, I actually think people are spending way too much time in a critique on a Biden administration. Look, we always have critique. Leaders are critiqued. I think that is the whole point, right, of leadership. And I think it's more important, though, to be honest with you, to focus on what the real threats are. They are banning books. They are literally banning books. And this is a campaign plank of those who want to run this country. And they are doing it without shame, without pause. They're running school board candidates. This whole idea that less is more, mm -mm. we have to concentrate on the real thing. And I think that that's the thing that I don't want to get this moment confused um, because I think the stakes are too high for that level of confusion. Florida's a cautionary tale. And if we're not paying attention, he's going up against Walt Disney World. Now, I'm not saying it's the, you know, he's he's trying to be the Tinkerbell. He's he's up against the fight of like the corporate, you know, class. Got it. And when have you seen a red state governor go up against a corporate class like that? What is his limit? What is his point? What is he trying to do? And how much runway does he need? The he in that sentence, of course, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. I'm not sure he will be the nominee. Uh, Stacey, Ron, Donald Trump uh, could be uh, under indictment uh, in Georgia as well as New York. Uh, he's facing a rape trial uh, in New York right now. And I still think MAGA is leaning toward uh, nominating him. I don't know if DeSantis can beat uh, Donald Trump for the MAGA nomination. We will see. Um, uh, we'll close with one last name, a little curveball I'm going to throw at you. Folks who have heard Stacy in the past uh, know she's a big-time basketball fan. I know you're pretty busy. I don't know if you saw last night's game, but I'm going to throw Jimmy Butler. 56 Jimmy points. Buckets. Jimmy, or playoff Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy playoff. Jimmy Bucket. Hey, <laughs> Jimmy bring his whole heart to the floor. Like, I really enjoy watching him play because he, he he's a competitor. And he'll leave it all out there. 
Like you love to see like playoff performances like that. That's what it's for, man. You want to see people get better. You want to see people rise to the occasion. Dude, that is the best type of playoff ever. Yeah. Did you get a chance to did you watch it last night or were you busy doing yeah, other things? I watched it this morning in, in clips. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't get to see the real part of it. Um that's the consequence of being a grown-up. It sucks. Yeah, no, I hear you. I uh, I I was lucky I got to watch it. It was it was truly an amazing thing. I love uh, Jimmy Butler when he was on the Bulls. I, I was so disappointed when they traded him. And now it's sort of like it's haunting my beloved Bulls that he's doing so well. Uh, and we're having our struggles, uh, to put it mildly. But, you know, Stacey, I'm not going to be one of those guys who hates. So uh, I'm rooting for Jimmy Butler. I hope he does well. I hope he wins a championship that he couldn't win. You can't, run, you can't run against that level of competitiveness and leadership. You, you just can't run. You can't root against it. It's infectious. You want to see him win. Yeah, I want to see him win. I have no idea what his politics are, by the way. I don't even know if Jimmy Butler has politics, uh, but I'm rooting for him big time. And I'm also kind of, I never thought I would say this, Stacy. I can't believe I'm saying this, rooting for LeBron James uh, at age 38. One last run, maybe. Who knows? Uh, what kind of world are we aging in where LeBron is like 38? Jesus. Feels like it's been dog years. Yeah. <laughs> well, 30, is LeBron James? Heck, I remember when he was still in high school. Yeah. No, I know. I can't believe he's 38 either. Or that he's like his 20th year in the pros. And if you could have seen that game, it was on really late. You were probably asleep. He yes, scored, for sure. He scored a basket with like two seconds left to set it in overtime went right past two defenders uh off the dribble i'm like this man is a miracle uh and i'm not gonna fall into that thing about michael jordan's better i'm not gonna go there i'm just gonna say i really have a lot of love for lebron james at this stage of his career and i never would have predicted those words would come out of my mouth back in 2010 when he didn't take his talents to chicago and it didn't mm. Miami, which took me about 10 years to get over. All right, Stacey <laughs> David Skates, thank you so much. <laughs> I, I got over it, Stacey. It, it took a while. Uh, if you could see where she's doing this conversation, she's conducting this conversation, folks, you would really appreciate uh, how much love Stacey Davis Gates has for this show. So uh, I, will, I will not give away where she is right now, but it looks like <laughs> a dungeon. <laughs> so thank you very much, Stacey. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. All right. That's Stacey Davis-Gates. Uh, I also want to thank uh, producer Chris. Outstanding job as always. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And don't forget, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. Follow the Ben Jarofsky show at Benny J show on Instagram. And like and subscribe to the Ben Jarofsky podcast on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.